Hello everybody and welcome back to the Money Mitch Effect. Hope everybody out there is doing well after some weeks off. It's time for another sports podcast. I am your host Mitch Michaels. Delighted to be back chatting sports with y'all. Got a good show this week and talk to Brandon Marcus, host of the Hoopball Clips podcast. We talk about his Clippers making a uh, trade, Eric Bledsoe coming back into the fold, some NBA free agent news and notes, as well as some baseball standings kind of with about six weeks left in the season we break down the playoff races and the ultimate pennant races as well as thoughts on roger federer at the end as well and then tyler tesson joins the show to talk about some nfl news tim tebow cut we break down all the rookie quarterbacks in their first outing little aaron Rodgers talk as well and what the college football landscape might look like going forward it's brandon marcus and tyler tesson on the money mitch effect let's start the show Welcome everybody to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. Mitch Michaels here. Took a little vacation myself, but uh, we're back and better than ever. It's mid-August, and I'm joined now on the show by Brandon Marcus. A lot going on in his life as well. Brandon, thanks for taking the time to talk some sports in our little bit of a cool-down month before we gear up for football season. Of course, man. Always happy to be on, and uh, I'm even happier that I'm the first guest after vacation. I know what that's about, man. Uh, trying to do my podcast and it's exhausting getting guests every week and you need, you need a little time to yourself, man. So I'm glad you took a little bit of a break. Yeah, just a little recharge. You know, we've, we've all got things going on. So it wasn't a full shutdown of everything. Just had to kind of refresh, recuperate. And also with the sports season, this is the time to do it. Uh, I think we are kind of getting back to normal. This was like the last run of like the COVID delays where you had the NBA finals and the Stanley Cup going late, the Olympics. And this is our little like time to, to break. Um, but, you know, on that same note, there is still baseball going on. Uh, oh, is there? <laughs> it's still going. I, look, we can get right into it with, uh, with your boys as well because there's two hands. There's, there's two sides to every story. We all know that. You're an Angels fan. And uh, you have on one hand a historic season, a generational type season, and by Shohei Otani. On the other hand, they're under 500 yet again, three and seven in their last ten. So, what's the reaction to what you've seen, what you felt as an Angels fan, seeing this great player, and also just still them not putting it together? Honestly, man, it's been difficult for me to watch that many games this year. First of all. They're just so long, and it just now that I've got a kid in my life, there's so few hours at night where I have with my wife where we can watch TV, and it's all baseball has kind of been put on the back burner a little bit. And uh, while it's difficult to get excited uh, about a team that continues to underperform, you have to be just in awe of what Otani's doing. And so, of course, it's awesome having a guy like Otani on your team, but it's been awesome, awesome having a guy like Trout on our mm-hmm. team for as long as he's been around. And it just seems like year after year, there's big signing after big signing. First, it was guys like Josh Hamilton. Actually, before that, it was Albert Pujols. Pujols, not good. C.J. Wilson, not mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Vernon Wells, not good. Josh Hamilton, not good. Hey, let's go sign Anthony Rendon for $250 million. Oh, he's done nothing the last two years. So it just seems like every single time they splash towards a free agent, they flop and it sets the team back and they become average and their farm system sucks. So it's hard to get up for a team like the angels, even though you have guys like Trout and Otani. And of course, Trout's been out for all of this season pretty much. And the angels are just sitting at mediocre mediocrity at 500. Yeah. Um, 
you know, the there's a lot to the Otani situation, but just as the team and they've performed, I mean, we, we say the same thing every year, right? It's the pitching. It's that side of thing. I know they devoted an, another entire draft to pitching. Let's see if that <laughs> pans out. But, I mean, you're, you're going to, again, f- be hard-pressed to find any teams that are competing for anything uh, that are giving up the amount of runs that they're giving up. And it's just a sad state every time with this team. It seems like this is the month where they kind of start to fall. Like, there's some hope. There's an opportunity. I know the Astros have run away with it and uh, not run away with it, but they've had a great run here. But, you know, the Angels weren't that far off a couple weeks ago. It's really been this last little stretch where it's fallen apart. And and I just I think in general in sports, it just sucks to waste a great season by any athlete. And uh, the fact that I have no skin in the game, obviously, we're not going to see Otani in the playoffs is uh, just sad for general baseball fans. Dude, you and I were there when Otani hit his first home run, and it was unbelievable <laughs> yeah, we watching him do that against the Indians. And it, it was just the start of what's become. I mean, if, if you sit back, yeah, yeah if you sit back and look what he's done, man, it, it's unbelievable the seasons he, he's having. Not only offensively, normally a guy like that offensively, it's an unbelievable season. But then you add what he's doing on the mound, and it's something that we've never seen before, really, at least in our lifetime. Of course, it was Babe Ruth, but you look at what Otani's doing, and then you look at the Angels' record, and it's just deflating. And you say that they were still in it. Uh, honestly, it's been probably four months where I've said, you know, the Angels are out of it. I mean, mm-hmm. th- this just seems like they give you hope. Mm-hmm. And you know pretty soon that they don't have much pitching, and then you kind of give up hope. And that's what's happened with this team. And it's very difficult because you look at what's happening, and at the deadline, every single year, you see these big names get traded. And these prospects come the other way with teams that are out of it. And every single year, the Angels are out of it, and they don't have any names that they can trade, and so they're not getting prospects back. So their farm system still sucks because they're missing in the draft. And now the Angels finally have a couple of guys at the deadline where Andrew Heaney is on the block, Iglesias is on the block, and they don't even trade both. They only trade Heaney in New York, and they keep their closer for – who knows what reason? I mean, it just does. They it, they can't go all in towards being crappy, and they can't go all in towards being good. It's one of the most frustrating things that I can witness as a fan. Well, yeah. If you're gonna bottom out, just bottom out. But when you yeah. have big name signings like an Albert Pujols, it's hard to you know justify certain things like that. Hey, at least you at least you avoided the Kumar Rocker situation. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I, I honestly I thought that was an awful decision by them to pass on him. So l- luckily. <laughs> The Angels front office knew something there. And I mean, the Angels have a couple of all-stars in Jared Walsh and Otani. And then you add in Trout and Rendon. Their offense could be pretty good if they were healthy. Mm -hmm. But offense doesn't matter when you can't pitch. So what do you do? You go go and draft 20 pitchers and see see if that'll work. Hey, well, I mean, I would gladly take any one of those guys you just said on the Tribe this year because their offense is just pathetic. But we knew that was going to happen because they let everybody go. So Yeah, and listen, how nice is it to have a team where – you lose a you lose a Kluber and you mm. reload. It, it's just unbelievable. Did you see my boy Tristan McKenzie the other day? Yeah, of course I did. He's he, on my fantasy team. The guy goes <laughs> and throws eight innings uh. of one hit ball. I mean, unbelievable. And it's just another arm that's got the potential. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him put together an ERA of three point one, three point two or less next season. He's like six five, like one hundred and sixty pounds or something like that. And yeah, and the first time I watched him, the first time I watched him, I was like, man, his release is like halfway past the mound. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, 
But he, he's something. I mean, the offense isn't there. I, I do want to give my thoughts on the American League for a second because I've officially reached I'm worried that the Astros are good again. Like legit good, not just like regular season good. Because obviously oh, no one dude. wants to see them win, but they look really good. Dude, they've always been good. I mean, they've got the batting order that it, it, nothing's changed. I mean, they still have Altuve. Brantley's a solid hitter. The, Bregman's not even in their lineup right now because he's been hurt for so long. Alvarez is really good. And Kyle Tucker's been unbelievable. I mean, their offense is really, really good. Gurriel, and it's just a matter for them of pitching because they obviously don't have the horses like a Garrett Cole that they've had in the past, but they're solid. I mean, Grinky gets the job done. Odorizzi is a decent pitcher. McCullers is solid. So they've, it's just been about the pitching for them. And yeah. I don't think they're going to be good enough in the postseason, though, because I don't think the pitching's going to be good enough. Um, and we always see that it's always the aces that do, that do the best in the postseason. But yeah, it's definitely a team to fear, and their bullpen's pretty solid. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know the division races are so fascinating because we're back to the traditional playoff format, teams and wild card and whatnot. So the Houston Oakland race for the division is huge to just get that, not have to deal with the with the one game playoff. You also don't even know if you're going to be guaranteed in, depending on how the Red Sox and Yankees and Rays how that all shakes out, but. It is a fascinating thing, too, especially because the White Sox are basically the only team that has their division locked up, um, I guess, which might not be that unnormal given that we're in mid-August, but they're the only team that can breathe a sigh of relief so far. Yeah, no, and the White, White Sox are awesome. I mean, talk about a team that can pitch and also can hit. That, that team, I mean, Tony La Russa caught a lot of slack, or flack, rather, for the Mercedes situation, and th they just keep winning. I he's mean, the, they, and he's they, the only, La Russa's the only thing that I think can bring this team down. <laughs> honestly, honestly, and we knew that this was going to be a, a step up for this team. We knew that they're going to be good this year after what we saw last year, but incorporating some of those other pieces like Luis Robert and Amankata getting in there. And Jose Abreu's obviously been a steady presence for them. It's just about incorporating those other guys. And I mean, their pitching's good. They trade for Kimbrel at the deadline. Um, yeah, they're they're a really good team. I think the AL is, pro is really fascinating. Both, honestly, both are really yeah. fascinating. A couple of things. One being, I think Kimbrel might go down as the best pickup at the deadline. I know the Cubs traded away all their guys, and there's a lot of big pieces out there. But that could be the that could be the final Django piece for this White Sox team. We'll see. But I agree with you in the AL. I think it's fascinating. I also still I also still go back to a point I made earlier in the year. I don't know if there's any like great team. Like there's a lot of good teams, and that's going to make for a fun postseason. But Tampa Bay, Boston's been on the slide. The Yankees are, are winning games recently, but can they fully be trusted? And then you mentioned the Astros pitching. It's going to be a fun postseason, but I just don't know if any of these teams are great, or at least not yet. Dude, I don't get how the Rays do it. No. I just don't understand. I mean, you look at their rotation. I mean, do you know who leads their team in wins right now? <laughs> no, I'm going to let you tell me. Josh Fleming. <laughs> What? Josh Fleming. Josh Fleming. Well, yeah, and after the World Series and the Snell deal and all that stuff, they were just penciled out, and here they are again just playing 600 ball and just finding a way to get outs and win nine-inning games. I they mean, don't have an ace. No. They, they don't even have a number two. It, it, it's, they lose Tyler Glass now. They trade away Rich Hill, who is fourth on their team and wins, by the way. And, and it's just Andrew Kittredge. Is their number two pitcher and wins, and he's a reliever. Like he has forty-two games pitched, four game starts, four starts for him, and he's got eight wins. He's eight and one. It's it's 
it's crazy. It, it's unbelievable how a team like that can have 72 wins and be 72 and 47 in a division with the Red Sox and the Yankees. It's honestly one of the most baffling things to happen because it feels like the Angels have a better roster than they do, yeah. but the Rays are infinitely better than the Angels. I'm pretty pumped for the playoffs to uh, get going. I almost want to kind of just fast forward this the rest of the regular season. I know we have races to see, Brandon, but in the NL, if I asked you the question, any chance or what, what chance would you say if you put a number on it, percentage, what have you, that the World Series representative doesn't come out of the NL West? Um, I would say that it's probably a 15% chance that it's a non-NL West. That's about what I was thinking. Maybe a little lower, but not much. I mean, I just, I mean, part of it is the, the NL East with the awful Acuna injury. The yeah. Braves were the only team worth fearing. And now it's, it's remarkable what they've done to compete. But I mean, they're not, they're not that team this year that they're, they're going to regroup. Milwaukee has impressed me, but they've got a lot of this race thing going identical record actually, but you know, I just I don't know if this is a, a team built for the playoffs. I feel like we're going to come down to that traditional rivalry that we've all known and loved or hated between the Giants and the Dodgers. Well, the thing is with the Brewers is that they'll have their guys who can pitch in Woodruff, Burns, and Peralta, and those three guys have been just unbelievable this year. But I don't think they can hit. Like yeah. that's the issue with with uh, the Brewers. I mean, Yelich has been awful the mm. um, last two years now. So it's it's one of those things where you look at their team and their leading home run guy is Avisail Garcia and number two is Willie Adamas. It's just I, I don't think they have the offense. So the Brewers certainly will be able to win a couple of games in the postseason because of their pitching, but I just don't think they'll be able to get enough runs. And you look at the Dodgers and what they have, you look at the Padres and what they have, and of course the Giants, who another team that really you look at their staff and you're like, Kevin Gosman, like, I know he was a high pick, but he hasn't really been that great. And you look and you see where they are, uh, the Giants, and winning their division. It's crazy. But I, I think, honestly, the most exciting game, and, and I'll be, I think most people will agree with me, I think Dodgers-Padres for the wild card spot may be the most exciting game that we get in the postseason. Well, I don't want to rule the Dodgers out from making up four games and winning that division. Yeah, I think that's if, very if possible. We that, if oh, we get that. yeah, that, that would be amazing. Uh, there's no way that Gabe Kapler doesn't win manager of the year. Like, there's, I, I mean, I would be shocked. Because who yeah. expected the Giants to be this good? Like I don't, I don't know any pundit that had that before the season. Yeah, no, it's true. I, I, I did not think they would be this good. I mean, I knew the division would be pretty crappy towards the bottom with the D-backs and the Rockies, but I didn't expect the Giants to be this good. And it for them to be where they are, I mean, everyone else is pretty much status quo for their division. So I, I think for sure, I think you'll see Gabe Kapler win manager of the year. You have Milwaukee, you mentioned, you know, doing this without Yelich. The Dodgers pretty much doing this without Bellinger because he's been atrocious for most of the year as well. So if, they, if he can wake up, if they can get some of their bats going, we don't have to get into the Bauer stuff, but they add in Scherzer and they're making themselves, you know, giving themselves more options. But it, there, there's a reason, Brandon, and we know this in any sport, why it's very tough to repeat. And I think we're starting to see some of those Dodger players that, maybe not are, are as fully locked in and it's just a natural human reaction to winning the year before you're not chasing as hard the next year for the title. Yeah. And they go and they lose Corey Seager for a little while and now he's back and you put Trey Turner now in there and you bring Max Scherzer into your starting rotation. The Dodgers are loaded. I mean, it's yeah. one of those things where year after year, this team knew how to draft 
and they have done a great job in free agency. Max Muncy's been unbelievable. Chris Taylor's been unbelievable. Those are two guys that weren't on their team, and they've they've done great drafting, and that's allowed them to get guys like Mookie Betts and Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. So they're they're unbelievable. So like you said, very possible if they can go and make up those four games with the Giants. But if they don't, I mean, can you imagine the Dodgers not making the playoffs because the Padres, you oh, Darvish goes and pitches a shutout or something against the Dodgers in the one-game playoff? One and done. You know, that's that's the beauty of it for sure. Uh, well, it remains to be seen. Uh, that was some baseball talk with Brandon Marcus here on the Money Mitch Effect. Got to talk about some offseason hoops because I know you're as locked in as anyone. Yeah. What do you think about Eric Bledsoe now returning to the Clipper, Clippers almost a decade since his departure? Rondo and Beverly out. And I'll just put it this way. You were one of the people, one of the few people I saw defending this deal, kind of sticking up for it. I think there was a lot of flack on the other side, so I'll let you talk about the trade and what you think it means for the Clippers' chances next year. Well, there are a lot of people that follow the Clippers and blog about the Clippers and write about the Clippers that um, are all over Pat Beverly. And I'll be honest, I have always thought Pat Beverly was really good. And there could have been a case made that he was the third most important Clipper behind PG and Kawhi. The only thing is with him, he can't stay healthy. And for me, something that I've really learned over the last couple of years is that talent is great, but availability is more important. And he frankly wasn't available when they needed him at certain points. And you go and you trade for a guy like Eric Bledsoe, who has only missed a handful of games over the last couple of years. And sure, Beverly's a better defender. There's no doubt about that. But Bledsoe can still defend. Beverly's probably a better three-point shooter. Um, but you're able to get off of Rondo's contract, which that was a really bad trade. I thought they needed a guy like Rondo. He was great in the regular season, but awful in the playoffs. And, and so you bring in a guy like Bledsoe, and let's be honest, the Clippers have done a really good job with guys like Nick Batum, who people thought, hey, their careers may be coming towards an end. And so they're hoping they can get the same thing with Bledsoe. So I'm excited to see what he can bring. I think he'll bring energy. I think he'll bring scoring to a team that will need it um, with Kawhi out for most of the regular season, if not all the regular season. I think that's the biggest difference is that you need someone that can actually carry the load offensively a little bit. And that's something that Bledsoe can do that Beverly can't. Well, that last point I think is what I wholeheartedly agree on. And and look, we're both realists here, right? I know you're a diehard Clippers fan, but they're not going to win if Kawhi's not healthy. So they need right. him to be healthy to have the championship aspirations. But this does feel like similarly in a way, oddly enough, similarly in a way as the Westbrook to the Lakers move, like this is going to help with your regular season. This is going to help with your scoring. This is going to be, some another body that's going to score and kind of shoulder the load a little bit when Kawhi's out because as great as Rondo and Beverly could be at different times for different teams they're not scorers they're not able to kind of do that when Kawhi's out so I agree with that too and I agree with what you said as well like your best ability is availability in a lot of ways and Beverly not being out there I think this has the potential I, I just don't think it's I don't know how you can make this out to be a bad deal if anything maybe the team didn't get any better like at worst case, I'd say it'd be a wash because I just think you needed to make some moves, make some upgrades based on the injuries and the fact that you do need scoring now for at least about half the year. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it, we'll see what happens in the postseason. And honestly, like you said, it won't matter if Kawhi's not there for the postseason, then this doesn't matter because they're not beating the Lakers. They're not beating the Jazz. They're not beating the Nuggets, most likely. Suns. They're not beating the Suns. I mean, it's, if they don't have Kawhi, they're probably not beating those teams. Um, I mean, it's possible. They, they beat a couple of teams. They obviously beat the Mavs, um, and they beat the Jazz without Kawhi. But um, 
yeah, it's 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 possible, but unlikely if they can go very far without him. You know, I looked at all the other moves in the you know in those crazy weeks of free agency and trades and and you know the Western Conference, which we're focusing on now. It is interesting though. I don't think that even the Lakers. I don't think that there's now this like super team. Like the Westbrook deal is okay. Like you know, it, this team is vulnerable. We've seen them have weaknesses. You know, the Suns made the finals. They're bringing everybody back. They're not a perfect team either. Chris Paul's up there in age. You know, I just think that the Clippers are one of several teams that if they're healthy and if the, if it breaks for them, it could work. Do, do you still agree with that? Or do you think the Lakers or, or another team, maybe the Suns, have put themselves into a different stratosphere? No, I think it's anybody's game. And, and I, I have said over the last couple of weeks um, on the Clips pod that I really do think Kawhi comes back this year. I think that... It, what happened is he signed that three plus one deal. He could have very easily signed the one plus one where he ends up rehabbing this year and going back into free agency next year. But what he did by signing that four year deal, the three plus one is that it gives him the assurance that if he comes back this year and he re injures himself, he's still getting paid for next season. Whereas if he would have come back this year while he was rehabbing and then about to enter free agency, then maybe that hinders his ability to get the max extension that he wanted. So now he has the ability to come back, perhaps, where he wouldn't, wouldn't have earlier when he didn't have them secured money. So I think it's possible he comes back in April this season to help out the Clippers. But I do agree that um, it, it really is anybody's. Mm -hmm. But for sure, the Lakers are at the top. I, I don't know if the Suns are going to be able to do it again. I, I think they do have a really good team. Um, I don't trust Chris Paul um, to stay healthy yeah. three years in a row. It just seems very difficult at his age. I mean, we've already seen LeBron start to break down a little bit. So, yeah, I, I'm not quite sure. Um, the, everyone has flaws. Chris Paul certainly yeah. can get hurt. LeBron and Anthony Davis are injury prone. Um, that's a really well, old Anthony team. Davis the Westbrook sure. is crazy. Yeah, it's, I think there's a lot of flawed teams in that conference. So it's anybody's game. I like Booker's uh, potential to keep making another step. I think that's why maybe I'm more bullish on the Suns than most. But I agree. I mean, anybody can get hurt, and Chris Paul certainly fits the bill there. And one team I did want your, your your take on pretty quickly because I, I'm not really, I don't want to say sold because obviously they have a transcendent player, but I'm not really, really high on what the Mavericks have been doing. I don't know what your thoughts are on all this, but... You know, they have Luca, which is great, but it's kind of been a little little chaotic around him, and, and I don't know that they're doing all they can to build. I know he signed the big deal, but build the team around this transcendent player. You mean what they're not doing? Yeah, uh, they're, yeah. they're basically just bringing everybody back, and they're just re-signing the <laughs> same guy. Kid and, all, you know, and, and, and the front office has, has been kind of in disarray. Like It's kind of an yeah. under-the-radar story about how chaotic it's been. How is Porzingis still there? Mm, I mean, mm. I thought for sure he was going to be dealt. And the fact that we haven't had a Porzingis trade, honestly, is crazy to me. So if they're going to go back and rerun this with Luka and Porzingis again, they're not going anywhere. I mean, Luka's unbelievable. And he carried Slovenia as far as he could during the Olympics. But I, I just don't think that he can do it all by himself. And Tim Hardaway Jr. obviously is a very good three-point shooter. I, I just don't think they have enough. So I agree with you. I, I think that... Um, the Mavericks are probably the team that has not done as much as they need to do. And one team that I think has done a ton for themselves. And I'm looking forward to watching them next year is the Bulls. Uh, I mean, yeah. if that trade goes through with Lonzo Ball and um, the tampering stuff doesn't end up being an issue. I mean, with Ball and Levine yeah, uh, exciting. And, and Vooch and DeRozan, I think that, that's a good team. 
That is an exciting one. I would also add to the not doing a much thing, um, not doing as much story. I don't know what the Pelicans are exactly trying to do right now, so I'm just kind of monitoring that one. Yeah, it's weird because the Grizzlies you can put in there too. Mm. Like, yeah, you what got these that? young players. It's like try to help them out a little bit more than you are. Yeah, I mean, they trade away Valanchunas, who was outstanding for them, and they get Steven Adams, who's not that good. It, it just it doesn't make sense what those teams are doing. Where are we on Ben Simmons' watch, and how long before we have like you know ESPN on the ground floor reporting on this every single day? Are we sure he gets dealt? I was saying the same thing. Like, I mean, this isn't an easy guy to trade. First of all, what? What's the number one rule in trading anything, sports or not? It's like strike while the iron's hot. The iron's pretty low right now. We all watched game seven. Yeah, and I don't – who are they going to trade? I mean, the draft has already happened. So it's not like you're going to trade for a pick. Um, you'll be trading for actual player at this point. And most of the rosters seem pretty settled. So I, I don't know. I mean, the Clippers obviously were able to make that Eric Bledsoe trade happen, but that's kind of a minor deal. Yeah. In the grand scheme of things, and that was just because they had a lot more players on their roster, um, and they needed to free up a couple spots because they drafted those three kids. So, yeah, man, I, I don't know if a trade gets done, and it's going to be awkward as hell when he comes back. That's the uh, thing. Like, I don't know how you can. Like, he, he will. That will be probably the loudest booze of any home athlete in Philly history, which is saying something. Like, I don't know. Is I think that he gets huge <laughs> cheers initially um, to try and get behind him, but. When things start to go south, I mean, they're going to go south in a hurry for him, and his trade value is just going to get worse and worse. So I, I don't know what they're doing because they're about to lock up Embiid. And uh, once you do that, I mean, I, I just don't know where you're going to go from there. I mean, are you going to try and trade Portland for C.J. McCollum? They're not going to do that, I don't think. So, yeah, it's Minnesota, perhaps. That's why they made the deal for Patrick Beverly and – did some of that stuff. I, I don't know. It, it seems like there's not a whole lot of options there for Simmons. Yeah, Portland's another one with the Dame Lillard talks, and you know he's like the biggest domino that may or may not be out there. But there's there's a lot, and I think I you know it's tough, like you said, to make trades at this stage in the game when everything's already passed and the rosters are set. So we'll see what happens. I just I'm, I'm getting the sense too that the Nets are going to be that team next year because I still think like props to Milwaukee, all they did. If they had a, just a full heart, healthy Harden, they'd probably win the title last year. So, I mean, I think they got to be. I mean, Vegas sees them as the prohibitive favorite going into the year for obvious reasons. No, oh, I, I don't think it's going to be that close either. I, I think that you add in a guy like Patty Mills, <laughs> I mean, that that's huge for them. And It's uh, one-third of the shots that Joe Harris missed last year in the playoffs. I think they're okay. Yeah, I mean, Joe Harris, Patty Mills, and then you combine them with the Harden-Kyrie-KD combo. I mean, that's I don't know who's going to beat them. I, they're going to be really freaking good. And uh, the East, I don't think, is going to be that great. I mean, last year, the Knicks finished fourth. Um, so I, I just don't think that the East is strong enough. And I think the Nets should have a pretty easy way out of that conference if they're healthy because we can't count out trey young though and the hawks i mean i don't know if they make the conference final again but yeah tough. yeah but they they got some help they, they got some help with they teams definitely did as long as they needed to be i mean they didn't play against brooklyn um so yeah we'll see brandon marcus pleasure chatting with you on the money mitch effect the last thing and i know we don't normally cover other sports as well but uh, i've been a little sad this week because the end is near, it would seem, for my guy Roger Federer. 
And uh, Dude, I you know, was bummed when I saw that. I, I was really bummed when I saw yeah. that. And uh, it's just suppressing, man. Mm-hmm. It's depressing. I've come to the, I mean, obviously we all get older. We come to the realization that these guys can't play forever. Fetters 40 and every, you know, getting to play this long has been a blessing. But it just sucks to see somebody, let alone a legend in a sport like no one else, not be able to go out on your own terms, which I know happens so much. But to be compromised this much, three knee surgeries, you start to just think like, is there even going to be a chance for him to have a proper farewell, let alone winning other tournaments and, and contending anymore. But just to go out like this really does bum me out. Yeah. I heard um, that what would be cool is maybe if he was able to rehab and come back for one more Wimbledon Mm -hmm. and and go out there. But that's, I mean, just to see a guy like that who has been so damn good, just get hurt with injuries. Um, uh, we're gonna. This could easily be a thirty-minute conversation, but I want to ask you a question yeah. that I'm curious to get your take on it because I don't think I've ever actually gotten your take on it. Yeah. Where do you rank Djokovic with Federer and Nadal? Because I've heard a lot of Djokovic is the goat, but I've also seen a lot of well, he had to face Nadal when he was hurt, and he faced Federer towards the end of his career. So I'm curious where you where you go on that. So Federer's my guy, favorite ever. Uh, Djokovic is now number one, and I've made peace with that too. He's the guy. I mean, and, and like to get to the specifics of metrics, like if Nadal passes Federer and slams, like if he wins another French Open or whatever, you could still make the argument based on other metrics, Federer being more at number one, winning, winning more tournaments, all this stuff. Djokovic has pretty much already got both those guys beat in just about everything. So Djokovic is, Djokovic is the guy. I mean, it, it's, he's number one. He's done it across board. And when he beat Nadal at the French Open, that was the one that solidified it for me. Like yeah. He basically took out the king at his favorite surface. So, um, no, I mean, I mean, all three of them are the three best players ever, and I understand the pick. And the other thing is Djokovic isn't done. I mean, Federer, not going to win another, more, another Grand Slam. I don't think I'm making a very hot take when I say that. Um, Nadal, if you're setting the market on that, I mean, you'll probably say it's about 50-50 because the French Open, I mean, he's compromised with his health right now. With his foot injury and, and you know what he's going to look like at the U.S. Open if he officially plays, which I think he will, but he's banged up and Djokovic is still going to keep winning. So I don't think it'll be close in the slams race at least, but that's my take of it. Yeah, I was curious to get your take. It's just it's interesting because obviously he's doing a ton of winning, but mm-hmm. it seems like if you put him at the height of Nadal and the height of Federer, I'm not sure it's the same. It's but. tough. I mean, and, and he's younger, and you can make the case that, you know, he's, he doesn't have that next guy pushing him from the from the other side like they've had. I, I understand that. But the counter is, does Djokovic have a lot more championships younger if he doesn't have to go through Federer and Nadal? I mean, I obviously think they all made each other better players as a result, which is why we're we're lucky to see this. But, you know, it's a tough one for sure. It's just a weird time for tennis because those guys are kind of on their way out. Serena's, you know, pretty much on her way out. We're looking yeah. at like a whole new generation of uh, players, and it, it's going to be more wide open in a sense. You're going to have players win a couple slams, you know, one or a, a couple one hit wonders, a couple that win three or four. We just got so spoiled by you know the same players winning all the time and winning double digit slams. I think it could be a while before we see that again. Yeah, we've been blessed, man. We've been really blessed. I mean, first we had obviously with Agassi and Sampras, and now to get these guys, it's it's gonna be crazy to see them all gone. Pete Sampras won 14 Grand Slams. If you would have told anybody in 2002 that you know <laughs> within like 20 years three guys would each just go right by him, I mean that's insane. Like, but 
Amen. You know, and this is a good time for tennis, too. The U.S. Open is coming up. We're going to have fans back this year as well for that. So uh, exciting times for the sports world. Brandon Marcus, always a pleasure chatting with you. Congrats on the uh, fatherhood. I know that's exciting. Try to get some sleep, but it's, it's optional, I think. Yeah, well, uh, I'll do what I can. But listen, I always make time for you. I'm glad to do this. It's awesome. It's fun. And uh, we'll catch up soon. We will. Next time it might be about USC football. I don't know how you're feeling about that, but we're getting there. Oh, man. Well, as long as a certain person's in charge, it's tough to get behind that team. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Started with the Angels, ended with USC football in the same tone. Ah, love it. Brandon Marcus, thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. Thanks for having me, man. Huge thanks, as always, to Brandon Marcus for hopping on today's show. A lot to chat about with him. He's a busy guy, as you might imagine. But uh, we're going to be getting ready for the baseball pennant races and the start of hoop season before we know it. Good to chat with him as well. Now it's time to switch gears. We're talking to Tyler Tesson about the NFL preseason, some rookie QBs we like, some thoughts on Tebow getting cut, some general thoughts as we approach the NFL regular season. He's even got a, a documentary recommendation for you as well at the end of this, as well as some college football talk. It's Tyler Tesson now on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, now joining us on the Money Mitch Effect, friend of the show, Tyler Tesson is back. Tyler, thanks for joining uh, our little one-month one sabbatical before the sports season just ramps back up again. But uh, thanks for joining the show. No, thanks for having me, Mitch. Looking forward to it. Football season right around the corner. We got our first taste of it with some preseason football. Uh, but the big news today as we record this is uh, one of your predictions didn't come true. Tim Tebow cut by the Jaguars. And uh hate to say it, but it seems like the dream is now dead. Yeah, I would agree. I, I thought it would have lasted a little longer than this and he would have made the team, but... Uh... You know, if you're going to play tight end, you have to be able to block somewhat. And, you know, his first, his first game didn't bode no. well for making the roster when you can't even make contact with somebody. Yeah, it was rough. Uh, those clips that I think you're referring to, there's a couple of them back-to-back where he just completely whiffed, and this is like third, fourth string level as well. I think, honestly, I mean, you know, making the cut now, like before you even get down to like 80 or 70 guys, that just assures that everything's over. But I think, I mean, you know, he waited too long. I think he stepped out, played baseball. I mean, if he would have made that transition right away or even, like, shortly after the QB career fizzled out, I think he might have had a chance. But, you know, waiting too long, not really developing his skills. It is a young man's game, regardless of what Tom Brady's doing. And I just think that at the end of the day, if Urban Meyer's making this decision, someone that absolutely loves Tim Tebow, I just can't think that there's another step out there. Yeah, and... That's the interesting thing. I'm not even sure if, you know, obviously he got this opportunity because of Urban Meyer, but I don't, you know, if he decided to play tight end when he got cut by the Patriots, I don't even know if anybody would have picked him up. Who knows? We'll never know. But obviously he got this opportunity because of Urban Meyer. Yeah, and you mentioned before uh, that it may be cover for Trevor Lawrence, which, you know, is kind of true as well. Uh, Urban Meyer is also, you know, not in college anymore. That keeps getting repeated over and over again. But he doesn't have the roster spot in the NFL to kind of just waste on a project and it might turn out or, you know, you're doing a little bit of a favor. There's half as many players on the team as in college, and you have to win games right away. There's not that grace period that you might get in the other one. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not like he's – 
taking over, uh, you know, a playoff <laughs> contender right now. So it's not like he's got a spot he can waste. You know, if you're a if you're a team that's gonna won ten or twelve games a year before, maybe you can hide one position player, but yeah. not on a team like Jacksonville. Getting a little antsy too. I saw he traded Joe Shorbert to the Steelers and just like randomly like Sherbert had no idea I think he was watching ESPN when the story broke so he's you know he's already getting kind of getting aggressive with his moves I do think he made the right decision in what division to go to because that division is all over the place I mean I, I don't know that I like to use the term lock when you haven't really proven it on a very consistent level but I'm at a point now with the Titans where I would be shocked if they don't win the division based on the quarterback position in Indy more than anything else yeah, exactly. Wentz going down, and you know, yeah, you bring in Julio Jones. If he could stay healthy, who knows what could happen? But that offense could just be rolling. So yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to hard to go against the Titans this year. I think everybody's got them penciled in. I have no idea what's happening with the Texans. I'm just gonna say that, like, that's like the most bizarre <laughs> handling of a situation ever. Like, how are they letting this guy practice, and and he still is demanding a trade? Like, I don't. You know, from from his perspective, I mean, well, putting the criminal stuff aside, how could you expect, especially as an agent, how can you expect your client to get traded with all this hanging over him? Right. Well, and isn't he listed as the four string quarterback right now <laughs> yeah, too? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's just it's the most bizarre thing I've. It's just been so mishandled. It's it's absolutely crazy. So I, I know it's only been one game, and you know, take that for what it is. But we're looking at what four or five rookie quarterbacks or, or first-time guys trying to get their crack at, at things. Have you started to look at players that have impressed you more than others? Is there someone that stands out? I know it's early with camp and just one game, but where are you at on that pecking order right now? Uh I don't know. I haven't watched a whole lot yet. I would say Fields looked pretty good. Um, for Chicago, mm-hmm. I'm curious to see how that goes. Just being a later round pick, Mac Jones looked pretty decent too. I didn't see too much of Trevor Lawrence, but I those two were kind of the two that stuck out to me up to this point. Yeah, I, I think uh, Fields would be you know had the most complete game, which oddly enough overshadowed you know Tua's comeback because everyone's looking at year two with Tua, yeah. and I think that's just to kind of pause on him for a second. It was crazy to me that going into this year, everybody was already writing him off. Like, I'm not, I'm not guaranteeing. I know I was high on him before. There's no guarantee that he's going to pan out and be this, you know, ten-year NFL quarterback. But the idea that after year one, first of all, you're, we're just going to write off quarterbacks, and let alone him, a guy coming off of that major injury, just seemed crazy to me. And it was nice to see him play well in his first preseason game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he he had a couple games where he got on a run last year, so I. You know, he's got all the potential in the world, but it's just, you know, you think you got Tua and then Joe Burrow's coming back, who is almost a rookie. You know, he only played about half the year last year. There's going to be so many young quarterbacks starting this year. It's going to be crazy by the end of the year, maybe not at the beginning, but by the end. Yeah, yeah, that's that's one hundred percent true. Fields look good. He, you know, watching him all all the all his career at Ohio State, especially great deep ball. Great pocket presence, tough, you know, as a runner, but doesn't necessarily have to just take off. Uh, I think he's going to do well. I thought Trey Lance did well, too. He had the deep bomb as well, and and that might be the most, to me, interesting situation. Like, I think Dalton is going to get benched pretty quickly, if not by week one, for Fields. 
Lawrence is going to start right away. Zach Wilson's going to start right away. I actually do think Mac Jones is going to start the year on the bench. But yeah. Lance and Garoppolo is the one where I'm not sure. Like, that could go either way. Like, I could see Shanahan, you know, playing it both ways and, and making it, I guess, essentially a true competition. Right. Yeah, I agree. And I, yeah, and you know, there's got to be some tension in that locker room. I can't imagine Garoppolo likes how this has been handled. So it, it's going to be, they give it to Lance quickly. It's going to be interesting how Garoppolo handles it because, those usually don't go well in the quarter. You know, a veteran quarterback gets set on the bench pretty right. quickly for a young guy. It's interesting, too, because and we'll get to the top two in a second. But, you know, the Bears kind of stumbled into fields. The Patriots, same with Mac Jones, if not more so. The top two were there. Mac or, uh, Trey Lance in San Francisco, that was like the biggest gamble. Like, they gave up a lot to get that guy over two other guys that he'll be compared to for his career. So, I know Jimmy G and, and Shanahan says he likes him when he's out there, but he's been hurt so much that I wonder if you yeah. know, it is going to take like an injury or just Jimmy G not being healthy. And that's why I almost think that they'll let him start because they just think he's either going to play bad or, or you know, have right. that injury. Yeah. yeah, it could be the easy way out for him. I'm curious how Zach Wilson's going to do just because the Jets are such a disaster. You know, I, you just have no weapons there. You're just none, set up for none. failure. None. Uh, I'm rooting for Sam Darnold just because of that. Like, not, you know, <laughs> just because I thought he had a bad hand in New York and seeing how he does in Carolina. But I do think it's, it's, I think it's fair to say, and I will say it, that Wilson throws a better deep ball than Trevor Lawrence. Like, if we're just talking arm strength, it's Zach Wilson. Yeah. But that's not everything in the quarterback position we know. Uh, and we also know the fact that, uh, you know, as bad as the Jaguars look, there's some more pieces around him. Um, Zach Wilson doesn't really have much, so he's going to have to be in it for a right. long haul. And you know they could use a buffer, but they just don't have. I mean, they don't have any other quarterback to throw out there, and they don't have any other options. So it's going to be sink or swim right away. Yeah, yeah. It's just when you got a terrible offensive line and a terrible set of offensive weapons, it's just it's not a good combination. How long do you think before Mac Jones gets in? Man. That's tough. I mean, it's all going to depend on Cam, but if it's anything like last year, I mean, I could see it being week four. He's already in there. If Cam struggles out of the gate, I just don't think Belichick's going to have patience. Yeah, I, I was good. I think that's a good, like, if I was setting the betting line, I'd say four and a half weeks would be the over-under. I think that that's fair because I don't think Belichick's going to have patience. Remember all the guys that opted out last year? They're all, a lot of them are coming back. They right. retooled. And they weren't that bad last year with the quarterback that was throwing the ball into the ground on, like, 15-yard crossing right. routes. So they're not yeah. that far off. I know everyone's anointing the Bills and everything, but the Patriots are going to be a factor here, especially with that seventh playoff team. So I think Mac Jones is going to have some time to develop. But, yeah, probably, like, halfway through. I mean, the last question I have on this class, Tyler, is who do you think is going to have the best rookie year of all of them? Not career, I know that's hard to predict, but best rookie year, would you say? Ooh. Oh, man. I might go Fields just because he's actually got, like, a decent team around him and he's got some weapons. I just, I don't know. I feel like his style is going to fit what the Bears do well. That's so, a good that, one. That would be my guess. That's a good one. I think if I'm handicapping everything, he's definitely up there. Wilson's going to be in trouble with what they, with what they have. I don't yeah. think Mac Jones is going to be out there enough. I think Lance is worth a gamble, and that'd be like the long shot that might pay out if he gets in there early. 
with Shanahan. I have my questions, though, with Nagy and, and the offense because I think sometimes he kind of gets stagnant in calling plays. But Fields is a good one. I mean, yeah. Lawrence is the de facto one because you know he's going to be out there the whole time. And the right. numbers will be good even if the record isn't. Yeah, I'm I'm really curious how, like, you know, if you had to just guess, like, uh, what type of career he's going to have, just compare him to somebody. Like, I just, I don't know, I just don't have a good read on it, you know. Is he like a Philip Rivers type player, an Eli Manning? I just, I have no idea. You remember uh, a couple of years ago now when the draft happened, the Baker Mayfield Josh Allen draft, and everybody was talking about, you know, the Bills you know, making the move, getting, you know, getting Josh Allen. I don't know about that. Well, Josh Rosen just got cut again today. <laughs> For some yeah. like, I mean, it's just, it shows you that, I mean, some of them are going to pan out, some of them won't. Allen looks like the right. premier in that class. I mean, so far that class is overachieving. We'll see with Sam Darnold. But you've got at least, you've got, you know, a bona fide, bona fide, and then, you know, an MVP, and then Baker's done pretty well. But, you know, not all of them are going to make it. So yeah. that's the thing is, like, even this class, like, five of them if three make it that's a good class yeah i just feel like lawrence has had like i don't i can't remember a quarterback it's hyped up from college and you know as many accolades from college you know for a long time like you know he's yeah. almost at like a peyton manning type level you know coming in the nfl i just i would be very shocked if he had a peyton manning type career It'd be shocking, uh, but it is possible, especially with the extra game in the season and, you know, how this league's going. Uh, Tyler Tesson here on the Money Mitch Effect. By the way, Peyton Manning, did you watch his Hall of Fame speech? I thought it was crazy that they only gave I him, did. like, 10 minutes, but it was pretty good. I know. You need to give that guy, like, 40 minutes, I feel like. Is there anybody that has, like, better universal approval as an athlete or former athlete than Peyton? I was trying to think about this because he is somebody that you can go – friends you can go demographics you can go like parents grandparents like i think everybody just likes him yeah no i that's a good call i i can't think of many other you know brady's got all of his haters still i i think brady's became he's yeah we heard him at the hall of fame speech. but yeah but no i mean i manning's just like a lovable figure you know it's mm -hmm. just he can He's going to do – he'll probably own a team by the end of this or be the wow. commissioner of the NFL. Who yeah. knows? I, that guy's going to do so many different things before he's done working. It's, yeah. I feel like his career is honestly just getting started. Yeah, he's super polished. I think that's – but also funny. Like he's not just like a suit, like like talking and, you know, just too right. far, but he can be normal too. Yeah, I mean the, he can do whatever he wants. He's doing that show with Eli Um the uh, Monday night, like alternative broadcast. And I think he is actually the one guy that's like bigger than Monday night football. Like he does like that would limit him. Right. Really, which is crazy. I know everyone yeah. was throwing out commissioner. I, I, that might be, I mean, maybe that's the play because even like coaching is just too stressful for a guy with all that money and opportunity elsewhere. Right. And even running a team like the Elway approach, that's still not that he doesn't like the work, but that's still just, a, a lot of duties and a lot of undue stress for a guy like that. So maybe it is just an ownership stake media. And then ultimately if Goodell decides to step down, he could be the guy because like he can, he can literally write his own ticket to do whatever he wants the next 30, 40 years of his life. Yeah. Hey, maybe he'll become a regular on us and <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I know who <laughs> it's crazy. I thought that uh, I should also point out as your St. Louis guy, Isaac Bruce speech, it was pretty good. Uh, you know, laughing in the face of his haters was a nice way to ring in the Hall of Fame. 
Nah, he's just a class act guy. He's we're lucky to have him here. Yeah, next year should be the other one too. I think Tory Holt's going to get in next year. I think he had to just wait for the log yeah. jam to kind of settle. Um, but you know, and, and this is his opportunity of you know a class that's kind of open for him. Um, I think I think for I would be pretty confident that Tory Holt's going to get in next year. Yeah, I would think so as well. There's just so many wide receivers, you know, eligible right now. It's crazy. Now, just kind of going back to this year's NFL season, Tyler, uh, coming up, I mean, it's it's crazy that the Bucks look ready to run it back, but I think the other story all offseason was, you know, Aaron Rodgers and that whole thing, and it's it's kind of crazy in the NFL. I think in basketball and maybe even baseball we'd see this, but, like, I think everyone pretty much knows now this is his last year in Green Bay. Yeah, I I thought his press conference was awesome, though. It was, like, <laughs> I, he can... He can definitely, like, he's got some arrogance, but it, I, I like him just coming out and just saying exactly how he felt, kind of going through exactly everything that transpired. I'm sure Green Bay didn't like it, but it was like one of the few athletes that actually let people kind of behind the curtain and know exactly what happened and didn't try and just put a fake face on and just make it sound like it was a misunderstanding. He pretty much just let it all out, so going to be real interesting how this year goes he's the only guy that could get away with that i mean obviously there's like the quarterback a star quarterback in a team but like on the green bay locker room he's the only guy that can get away with that and i loved it too but it's funny like he obviously knows now that like okay i have the leverage i have the pull i'm just going to say whatever i want i've always thought that he was obviously an an unbelievable all-time player but definitely a little bit of a weird guy yeah marches to the beat of his own drum all that but i think him going out I think him doing this, like there was some un- unneeded drama in the situation, which I get the criticism there, but I do like the fact that he's playing it out. And I think that, right, like it's like Green Bay is never going to get fair value for him based on what he is and what he can be still at his age. But there's something to be said out said on the fact that okay, at least he's going to play out the season, give Green Bay time to you know make their deal and make their move and, and set that up. So because he, he could have easily just sat at home all year, hosted Jeopardy or something, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm real curious where he's going to go next year. Yeah, the other thing I have, too, is uh, the, the other thing, because like we're, we're on the heels of I think Jamal Adams just signed his big contract to be the highest-paid safety. doesn't really help Russell Wilson's offensive line situation. But I can't believe that the Saints are going to go into the year with Taysom Hill as like the actual quarterback, based on what <laughs> it sounds like. Yeah, and or Winston, you know, who knows which one it'll be. You go from the the face of stability, Drew Brees, to one of those two guys. It is really a funny. I mean, honestly, that that seems like the perfect landing spot for Rogers next year. Like, you let those two guys fail this year, have a bad year, and then give Sean Payton the ammo to go get Aaron Rodgers in the off season. You know, because they've got a lot of great offensive weapons. You, I know, think, you just plug him in. It's a contender. Oh, for sure. I, I think that, you know, maybe not the Raiders based on what you're hearing, but I think that Denver is a real possibility. And the moves that Denver have yeah. made this year, they are banking on the fact that if they don't work out, they can go to Rodgers. And, you know, I know it's Patrick Mahomes' division, but I think he'd be open to that as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that Rodgers is going to have his suitors and, you know, the timing of everything last year, it was too rushed, like, on the eve of draft night to, to really make a big deal. Right. But now, next year, everybody's going to be ready the second the season ends. So, 
Yeah. I'm excited to, yeah, to see how that exactly. goes. Uh, last couple of things here with Tyler Tesla on the Money Mitch effect. Um, I was going to say, how excited are you for the start of college football season? But the big thing is, are we just going to be in a whole new world with this NIL thing and all these super conferences that are about to get started? Yeah, it's a weird place with Cal. I feel like so much has happened this offseason. <laughs> it's almost yeah. hard to wrap your mind around it all. Players are getting paid millions of dollars before it even kicks off. We're going to probably have two conferences here before we know it. It's just, it's like a whole new league almost. It's crazy. It's crazy in the sense, I mean, now you have Texas and Oklahoma that are going to join the SEC in a couple of years, assuming that they even, big assumption that they even, you know, finish out this deal. You know, the Big 12 right. is, mad at, is, is mad at ESPN, sent them a cease and desist, and they're their partner, which was strange. <laughs> I just think it's funny to me that Texas making this move, which I get, but, I mean, they can't even really consistently win in the Big 12. What do they think is going to happen in the SEC? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not going to be pretty for them. Oklahoma is just going to have to – they can figure out how to play a little bit of defense. They'll probably be all right. But, yeah, I mean, Texas, they're going to be in some trouble. I think so, too, and I think this is going to be a very uh, up-and-down year uh, for a lot of teams. I mean, the one thing that you also got to remember is Alabama ranked number one uh, again, and this is, I believe, 11 straight years. They've been ranked number one at least part of the year, which is just insane. It's insane to think about. Uh, but I do also think that what it gets me going for this season, Tyler, is the fact that we got these big non-conference matchups again, like after the COVID year. You're going to see Georgia Clemson early. You're going to see some other big games as well. And the non-conference yeah. games are going to get going. So I think that's that's going to be fun for football. That's why I only hope in all this realignment is if they do consolidate some of these leagues, hopefully you can get rid of these just, you know, worthless games that, you know, three to four games a year that are just blowouts and don't mean anything. Or yeah. if there was every single game of the year was actually competitive and power conference teams i do think that could help where's my other thing do you do you need a bigger playoff if all these teams are going to be in a couple different conferences right like i don't know i mean they already said they're going to delay it they're going to delay playoff expansion until this dust settles which i know fans don't want to hear this but it makes perfect sense like the playoff committee doesn't know what to expand to until they see who's you know where in 2025 yeah do you uh do you think the Big Twelve's around in five years? I would say no, but you know, there's gonna have to be a conference for some of these teams and I just wonder if they just get engulfed or if they stay around and then they take out another you know, like is it the American? Like there will be one less conference. I just I would say no yeah. to the Big Twelve, but these teams aren't gonna all go independent, so it's gonna shake out. Right. I, I think the bigger thing too is does the Big Ten really – are they as serious about the expansion as the SEC is? And what does that mean? Does that mean USC and Notre Dame? Like, what, what are we talking here? Right, exactly. Or are they just going to pick up these Big 12 teams that are left over? You know, it's – Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. If USC goes to – if USC leaves the Pac-12, the Pac-12 is done. Like, it, <laughs> like it's done. And it's, yeah. it's essentially the WAC or Mountain West at that point. Right. So. Yeah, that's your marquee team there. It, so, yeah, yeah it'll it's, be strange, man. I, I, I'm excited for the start of football season. We'll see how it goes. Um, last thing, Tyler, I wasn't planning on talking about this, but we brought it up before we started, but you had a glowing review of the Malice of the Palace documentary on Netflix 17 years after the fact. Yeah. I couldn't recommend it enough to anybody. It was It's unbelievable. 
especially if you like Ron Artest, you won't be disappointed. <laughs> it's amazing that Ron Artest has, I don't I would say made it this far in life, but like made it through the NBA career he had with, you know, just the, just running up into the stands. Like when you hear his story and what he was thinking, you're like, man, I can't believe that was all that happened. Right. Yeah, it's it's some great behind-the-scenes footage, things I didn't know about it. And just, you know, it was – to think back at how bad that situation could have been and, you know, it looked terrible from an optics standpoint, but it could have been so much worse just with everything going on. It's It's – it's just crazy. I can't imagine if we saw that happen today. Oh, <laughs> yeah. There would be congressional hearings or something if that happened. Today. Yeah. Uh, Tyler Tesson, exactly. pleasure chatting with you here on the Money Mitch Effect. Uh, we'll have to do it again soon, but thanks for coming on the show. All right, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Big thanks to both guests, Brandon Marcus and Tyler Tesson, for coming on today's show. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. A reminder that you can catch every episode of The Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Just search Money Mitch Effect and it pops right up. You can also check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page for some content there. And follow me on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21. We'll be back next week to talk more sports on The Money Mitch Effect. This was Mitch Michaels. Keep enjoying sports.